Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. I have spoken a lot in my last 45 years or so, and uh, great speakers sometimes capture your attention or your imagination with a question or a problem to solve or some great illustration. And I started to ask this morning, have you ever had the experience where you really wanted to maybe stop doing something or start something new and you just couldn't get that done? Like, I'm not ever going to do that again, and 12 minutes later, you're doing that again? Ever had? And then I thought, you know, that's a silly way to phrase that because the answer for all of us is yes. It's yes. We all struggle. We all have the stuff that uh, sometimes sin that entangles us, sometimes habits that are, I say it this way, beneath the level of our will. You know, we say, I'm not ever doing that again. I'm not thinking that again. I'm not going to get into that again. I'm not going to have that relationship again. I'm not going to think that way again. And then our best plan is to do exactly those things again in another day, another week, another hour, another year. We, we just kind of go back to that. We struggle with sin. And in this pass through the, the big points of Romans, now we're at a place where Paul talks about that. Uh, with some real clarity for us, also some language that is best understood in the context of what I have called over the last several weeks rabbinical arguments. They're, they're not arguments back and forth. They're uh, apologetics for the way Paul as a rabbi thinks about the law and the way he's presenting the name of Jesus to people who were waiting for the Messiah but would have denied Jesus of Nazareth, who we know as the Messiah. So we're at a point in, in Romans this morning that's very, very practical. And the fact is, if you're breathing in the room, you've got stuff going on in you that is sinful. Remarkably quiet. You've got stuff going on in you that is sinful. Is this mic on? Are you people here? Work with me, people. You have stuff going on in your life that is sinful. Amen. You do. You do. And you struggle with that. By the way, if you don't struggle, that's when you're in trouble. Okay? If you've given over to sin and that is the evidence, the deeds of the flesh, to quote Paul, then you're, then you're in a place where it is instructive to you that you may not be in Christ. But if you're in Christ, you're probably still struggling with sin. And it's not always... The big flamboyant sins, many times it's issues of our heart that betray us. We're in the book of Romans, and just as a reminder, in case you haven't been here, you missed the first week, or most people don't come every single week, there are, uh, the flu is going around, and there are grandchildren to see, and children to take somewhere, and things that require our attention, and I get that, so I am a compulsive communicator teacher, so I repeat so if this is redundant to you and it's driving you crazy, I'm the interim pastor. I'll be gone soon. If you like me, I'm happy to stay. But I'm going to repeat because I want you to know this stuff when I'm through with Romans. Romans 1, Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus by 
a moment, personal moment with Jesus, called to be an apostle who was a rabbi, the highest of the highest trained Jewish minds, comes to Christ, writes this letter to the church at Rome. He loves the church at Rome. He hopes to get there, but he doesn't get there. And he talks about what it means to be in Jesus. And he makes a case for the fact that everybody is without excuse. We're all sinners. And God has demonstrated himself by his divine nature and his attributes, and man is without excuse. And then Paul, in the thesis statement of the whole epistle or letter of Romans, says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe, first to the Jew, and then the Gentile, that's everybody. That is the gospel, not ashamed of that. And he goes on and he talks about this righteousness that is God's righteousness and God's righteous standard. He talks about how we are all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God, but God justifies us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, taking the penalty for sin that we could not bear for us that we might have a relationship with God. Early on, I identified and I I, love to do this because it brings back, even as we sing and we talk about grace this morning, we started with the pronouncement in the service this morning that your grace is enough. We live inside of your grace because your grace is what we need in order to have a relationship with you, God. Justice, getting what you deserve, God's standard is absolutely just. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It is God's mercy expressed to us, and mercy is a mark throughout Scripture where God sets aside judgment in the sense of penalty, sets aside that in the gospel, and doesn't give us what we deserve because Jesus is the expression of grace. He takes upon himself the penalty of our sin and gives us a free gift we don't deserve. That is grace. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God's righteousness is a gift to us through Christ. And he goes on and he talks a little bit more about what it means to have faith. And the argument as a Jew was, well, it was obedient living or it was the attempt to be under the law or it was legalism or it was faith even on the part of the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith like Abraham. And Paul writes, he says, no, no, it was always Abraham's faith. It's not his circumcision. It's not his willingness to kill his own son and to be obedient to the father. He was faithful even before that. It was faith that God counted as righteousness. And then last week we were in the sixth chapter and uh, he said, we are dead to our sin, but we're alive to Christ. And the end of the chapter, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This morning, we're going to do what we've done most weeks, except for last week. And we're going to literally walk through about a chapter and a handful of verses through chapter 7 and chapter 8. And it speaks specifically about the struggle we all have with sin. And when I talk about sin, usually there is a, uh, in my mind, and I think maybe my mind is normal about this. I mean, if you talk about sin and sins that you struggle with, I start doing a list. And it's not just a one or two dimensional list, it's multidimensional. And I've, I've loved Jesus a long time and my identity is in Christ, it's not in my sin, but I still think, Okay, what about coveting and what about lack of forgiveness and what about lust and what about 
uh, a lack of discipline and righteousness in my life in so many ways, and I go down the list, I mean, I struggle with that. And I want to know what's the answer. And I'm here to tell you, I'm aware of the answer. And more and more, God is conforming me. And if you're in Christ, he's more and more conforming you to the image of Christ. He's giving you power and healing and conviction of sin and righteousness that brings you along in your Christian faith. I look at some of you. Some of you are saints who've been following and loving Jesus for decades and decades and decades. And you're not the same people you were when you came to Christ. And in this room, there are probably people, uh, I sense there would be, who don't know him. And your sin is death to you because there's no way out for you. It's not about getting better. It's about coming to life. So that dying yourself and living to Christ. So we're going to start in chapter 7. When I first got here, here's a little insight. When I first got here, I would send Robert my outline in the week because we want to be prepared for you to have a great experience as I speak so that you can follow along and so you can make notes. And I am a big fan of note-taking. Now, I'm going to give you a little something on the side here for a moment. Note-taking is really important because you can go back to it. But I confess, I've got thousands of notes I've never gone back to. Anybody hear me? I mean, you sat in church, and besides the notes in the margin of your Bible, maybe, you might have had a notebook or a journal and taken notes, but they're really not much good to you if you don't go back. And now educational scientists and theorists suggest that note-taking really isn't as strong just in the moment that sometimes we lose context and other things because we're taking notes. And here you've kind of got the best of both worlds because you really have the notes minus a word or two that helps you track. So I want to make sure I give you those and I'm going to do something really weird this morning. I'm going to give you the notes first. Then we're going to walk into Romans 7 and we're going to walk through that verse by verse quickly because we're hitting the high points. And here's the disclaimer one more time. Hey, most of you know this is not an in-depth study of the book of Romans. We could find a verse and stay there for three weeks. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to get the big picture of the epistle. So here's the notes. And it preaches itself this morning because it's right out of the word. Uh, Beginning of Romans 7, we have been released from the law to serve in a new way in the spirit. We've been released from the law. And we just heard in Romans 6 this struggle between sin and death and life and the spirit. We've been released. Number two, the law defines sin. I mentioned that last week. Sin is defined by God as God gives the law to his children, his covenant people, so that they would know what the standard was. It defines sin. Romans 7, 14, the law is spiritual But we are unspiritual, sold as slaves to sin. The law is spiritual. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It reflects God's character. But we are unspiritual, sold as slaves to sin. And then the law of sin wages war. And this is a long one. Against my mind and making me a prisoner of law of sin at work in my members. I'll do it again. The law of sin wages war against my mind. If that's all you got, that would be insightful. 
and make it, it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. And we're going to talk about the, the, that this morning, but that's the struggle, and it's real. Romans 8, 1 through 11, here's the good news. And if I were going to just start with good news this morning, instead of a question or a problem, this would be the good news. There's therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. Romans 8, 12 through 17, we have the spirit of sonship, S-O-N-S-H-I-P, sonship. Would you pray with me? We're going to ask the Lord just to bless our time. I'm going to try to be particularly expedient this morning. I want it to be crystal clear, and I'm asking the Lord to help us receive. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask you, Lord, to have your way in this place. Expose your word. Help our hearts to receive. Father, thank you for your work through the work of your spirit that you would continue to to create in us the image of Jesus in the way that we walk and the way that we talk and the way that we think and the way we serve others and the way we are people who would bow our knees and worship you. So this morning, we pray your way, our yielding in this place in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Romans chapter 7. Here we go. By the way, I know it's a teaching thing. I know we're working verse to verse. Thank you for hanging with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, I was going to say something else. You ready? How about those Operation Christmas Child boxes? Okay, I threw it out there. Can I just tell you what I think when somebody says to me, hey, I put my house on the market and I sold it in eight hours. You know what I always think? Number one, good for you. Number two, you priced it too low. Anybody feel me? And that's kind of how I feel about Operation Christmas Child. I mean, I I sort of challenged you last week. The boxes were gone before I got out there. We should have had 200 boxes. Next year, next year. I'm praying I am still your interim pastor next year. I heard that old no over here from... Scott, so I was like, no, 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 no. I'm praying against the pulpit search committee, honestly. I, I like you guys. I'd be happy to stay indefinitely as the interim. I'm just playing with you. I won't be here next year at Christmas. You'll have a new pastor, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ahead 200 boxes, 200 boxes. Romans 7, here we go. We've been released from the law to serve in a new way of the Spirit. Let's take a look at that. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? Well, that's interesting. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, 
We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That may seem confusing to you. I have had to process that over the years and do some study. Uh, But simply put, Paul is writing to say, you had an allegiance previously to the law. You had an allegiance, a relationship to the law. Because the law reflected God's character, God gave it so he would define what the standard was, and against that standard, you found yourself wanting and sinful. You had a relationship with the law. But he's building a case that the law has died as Christ has come. He is in effect, and I've got to watch my language, the theologians will probably dissect me, but in effect, the law has been replaced by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit that brings grace to our life. Now, does it negate the law, really? No, because the law reflects God's character. We'll not do the Ten Commandments, but I talked about the commandments twice over the last six weeks to make sure we're all on the same page. I said, the law, which defines righteousness and by default defines sin because this is the precept, reflects a principle which reflects the personhood of God. So God gives the law, it defines sin, and we find ourselves struggling against the law because the law is the standard, and he's already explained, and we are all condemned if we live by the law. So the illustration is this, you were married to the law, but the law is dying, so you are going to be married to, married into, relationally connected in a new way to Christ. Now, if you think about that for a moment, in Ephesians 5, Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives about loving, about wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving wives as Christ loved the church. And then he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It is that marriage relationship, and that marriage relationship supplants, removes the relationship where we try real hard to be righteous. Because trying real hard to be righteous, wait for it, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, what's disconcerting about that is we live in a culture that has painted try real hard onto the church. Do you know that there are thousands of people not in a church this morning who have been presented with what they think is the gospel, but what they think of the gospel is try real hard and be good in front of each other. They don't know because we haven't communicated clearly the good news of God's grace. We're all sinners. That's what we are. We are hypocrites. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we're hypocrites in that there's a standard and and we have a space, a disparity between the way we live and what the standard is. And the world doesn't understand this. They just look at us and we say, be good. Don't dance. Don't chew. Don't drink. Don't go with girls who do dance or chew or drink or whatever that is. 
And the world looks at us and they say, well, you're kind of hypocritical because I see you struggle. And it's saying, yes, we struggle because we're in Christ. And he's about to explain this. And there's an old, there's an old flesh that's still working in us. Instead of having a way to explain that or saying, yes, I'm a hypocrite, but I'm so grateful for the grace of God. Sometimes we look like we're saying, you've got to be good enough to be a part of the club. That's not what we mean, that's not what the gospel is, but that's kind of how the world understands us and has portrayed us. That's the popular notion in the media as well. It reflects the, you got to put on a good face in front of each other to be a part of the body of Christ. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people within 10 miles of here who would absolutely have their lives changed by the glory of God if they knew it was about the glory and grace of God and not about being good. But legalism is always about trying to be good. And Paul starts with an argument and says, you used to be married to being good and the law, and now you're married to the spirit of grace. Continuing, the law defines sin. Uh, Verse 7, what shall we say then with this argument? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Can I say that again? I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Continuing. For I would not have known what covening really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Law defines sin. It's God's righteousness. It's his standard. It reflects his personhood and his character. It's a tutor, somebody who comes along beside to teach. It teaches us, it shows us, it defines us what sin is. And it turns out I can't beat it. I I can't get past it. It is a standard I cannot attain. The law is spiritual, but we are unspiritual or sold as slaves to sin. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? It means the law reflects God's character, but if I'm going to be honest about me, I'm a sinner. Well, Paul's already said that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Men are without excuse. We're all in the same boat. That is, that is the circumstance for me. And then Romans 7, 22 through 23. The law of sin, because I'm a sinner, wages war within me. For I in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Oh my goodness. How does that work? Well, I know Jesus. His spirit inhabits me. Skipping ahead, Romans 8 is going to tell us, our spirit bears witness with his spirit for children of his. So I know his spirit in my life. I know that my heart's desire, I'm aware of my sin and I want to live to Christ, but I still struggle. And so do you. That was pathetic. I still struggle, and so do you. We all still struggle. My mind, 
My mind, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't do what I want to do. In verses 22, just reading along here, we find, we find this truth of who we are, that we are a bit of a contradiction. We're going to back up uh, just a little bit. We're going to back up to verse 7. Thank you for jumping back with me. I'm going to read through a part of this, and I, I want you to go with me. We won't be much longer. I want to go back to verse 7. Do you have all these, all the chapter? Thank you. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Uh, do you have... Do you have verse 7 and following? I'm kind of throwing you off here. Thank you. And do you have the passage beyond the, the verses I quoted? What should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Yeah, we don't have eight. We just did these. Let me read for you, please. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Mm. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when that commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful." We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. And here it is. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. Let me read it again. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Mm. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, 
but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. We are a slave to God's nature, his grace and spirit within us. We are no longer slaves to the law and sin. But you'll join me in saying, but I struggle. Yeah, you struggle because we have been taught, trained in the flesh to have this struggle because we're human and God is working his character from the inside out of us. So if you struggle with sin, welcome to the human race. We all do. And part of the reason we gather together is to get together with other people who struggle to say, I struggle, you struggle, I struggle. Yeah, I struggle too. But praise be to God, we are no longer identified by that. We no longer belong to the law of sin, but we belong to Jesus who sets us free from the consequence of sin and fills us with the Holy Spirit to create in us this new life, this fruitful life, this Jesus life that he wants to display for the world to see in us. That's a pretty amazing thing. And that's at the core of the gospel. The gospel is not just about you going to heaven when this body dies. The gospel is about you becoming alive by the presence of Christ in you, forgiving sin. That sin was defined by the law that you couldn't live enough good out of. You couldn't get to his righteousness. He did that for you. He creates in you, if you're a Christ follower and Christ lover, Christ receiver, life, and you have the gift of eternal life in Christ. That's what the gospel is about. And Paul's writing in the next word is super good news. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore, with all this struggle that we all have, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you said amen this morning, you ought to say amen now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't care if you're 6, 16, or 68. That is incredible news. There's no condemnation. That condemnation's been set aside. There's mercy been expressed to you. There's grace been given to you. There's no condemnation for the struggle you have against sin. That doesn't mean you don't sin. It means your identity is now in the mind of Christ, not in your own pursuit of being good. And that is incredibly good news. Now, preacher, you might say, Look, talk to me about sin. I think I should for just a moment. Folks, the world, and I'm talking about the world in the sense of our culture in which we live, defines many times who we are by our sin or by an identity or by our sexuality or by our tribe or by our friends or by our neighborhood. But that's not what we are. We are kingdom people. We are sons and daughters of God. We are not the sum of our sins or our choices or our location or the things that we do. We're not simply a hunter or a fisherman or a teacher or a scholar or an athlete or a mechanic or a farmer. We're not that. We're not even, we're not even defined by whether we're heterosexual or homosexual, 
whether we somehow have this propensity to steal things or set fires, that doesn't define us in Christ. What defines us in Christ is that we are sons and daughters of God. There's the, if you're in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today, this is going to be mildly annoying to 17 people in the room. But I'm going to say this about five times. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been set free from the law of sin and we live to Christ. And that is... That's the good news. It is phenomenal news. It is the news of the planet in all of history that we can have a relationship with the creator God who loves us and we are set free from the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Today when you walk out, I want you to be thinking there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you go to Walmart, I want you to think there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, there's a lot more to think. There's a lot of scripture to live. There's a lot of truth to walk in. But I really, really encourage you to think this. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the good news. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. If you knew, and we do, a glimpse of, a shadow of how desperately sinful we are and how great God's grace was, who couldn't love a God like that? Who couldn't love a God like that? He loves us because he loves us. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 12 through 17, we have the spirit of sonship. I'll just read this quickly. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Sons and daughters, that's who you are. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have an invitation at the end of the service. It's an opportunity to tangibly say, I want to come and be a part of this group of people. You dirty sinners. Yeah, I said it. I want to come be a part of this group of dirty sinners who are being changed and re-identified with Jesus Christ because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to stand with these people. I want to love these people. I want to study with these people. I want to worship with these people. I want to find ways to serve with these people. I want to be a part of this church. That's what we're doing. For somebody in here, 
you have thought for a long time perhaps about what it would mean to trust Christ. And you've had those dark moments of the soul where you said, I, I don't know, I don't want to give up, I'm not sure what I believe. But you know that in your heart, God is saying to you, I love you, I created you, I want you to be one of my sons and daughters. And if you'd like to make that profession of faith public today, be thrilled to meet you at the front. For somebody, you're a part of a church somewhere, maybe you're new to the community, maybe you're new to the season of your life and you need a place to worship I'll be at the front. Others will be here to serve and to pray. Or maybe there are things going on in your life and you'd just like to be prayed for and encouraged, blessed in this place. It would be such a privilege for me to pray with you, one of these other leaders here. There's lots of people who pray here. So that's what we do when we have an invitation. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship for just three or four minutes. If God's placed something in your heart, connecting to this body as a member of East Haven or maybe a decision, you're only going to have two or three minutes. Don't tarry. You come on. We're going to sing briefly, and then our time in this room this morning will be over. That doesn't mean that the gospel has ended or that your relationship with God can't begin at any moment with a trusting posture of your heart, but our moments in this room will be over in about three minutes. Pray with me, please. Father, we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful that there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. God, I pray today for these men and women, boys and girls, that we would all walk out today with an awareness of our sonship and uh, relationship as daughters to our Father. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask you by the work of your Spirit to have your way in this moment Uh, For those who would need to make a decision to align with this church, uh, perhaps somebody who would just be served well by being prayed for or loved on. God, we want to do that today. So as we're available, as your spirit leads in these moments, we trust you and we look forward to what you will do in this time together. We pray this as your sons and daughters in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. God's put something in your heart. You do it. Amen.